Welcome to Mentioned in Dispatches, the podcast from the Western Front Association, with me, Dr. Tom Thorpe. The WFA is the UK's largest Great War History Society. We are dedicated to furthering understanding of the First World War and have around 6,000 members worldwide. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. It is the 10th of January 2022 and this is episode 237. On today's Dispatches podcast, I talk to Ken Lynch about the research that he and his wife Pam have done on telling the stories of the missing who were listed in the Teatball Memorial on the Somme. Ken spoke to me from his home in Northumberland. Ken, welcome to the Dispatches podcast. Can you start, can you start by telling us about yourself and how and you and your wife got involved in this project about telling the stories of the missing who are listed on the Teatball Memorial? Uh, yes, I will. Thank you. Thank you very much for asking me as well. And uh, you mentioned my wife, Pam. We we do work as a team, uh, but she's given her apologies for today. So you are um, stuck with me. And, uh, but I'm, I'm more than happy to, to tell you about what we've been doing and why we're doing it and um, sort of bring it, flesh out some of the stories later on. Uh, it goes back. Uh, and, and this will be the shortened version, uh, uh, honestly. I'll tell you that at the beginning. Uh, you might not believe me at the end. It started back in 2001 when we wanted to go to the Western Front because um, Pam's two great uncles uh, both died in the war. Uh, one is buried in Corby and the other one is missing and is on Plurgstert. So we knew where we wanted to go. And, and coincidentally, her, as well, her grandfather lost a leg um, at Ginchy. So we, want, we wanted to go to the Western Front to see the, the two graves or the grave in the memorial. But then given the size of the Western Front, you think to yourself, what do I do the rest of the time? I need to go. What do I need to go and see? So we decided that we'd look at the men on Hayden Bridge War Memorial and try and visit some of those cemeteries as well. And five of the men, there are 50 odd men on the Hayden Bridge War Memorial, but five of them are on Tietval. Uh, four of them died on the 15th of September uh, in the territorials with Fusil- Northumberland Fusiliers. And the other chap was a, uh, a lieutenant in the Yorkshire Regiment. So that's what took us to Tietval for the first time. Uh, not really understanding what Tietval was till you get there. And the sheer scale of the Tietval Memorial and what it represents um, just, well, blew, blew certainly my mind away. I, I, I just couldn't come to sort of real terms with it. So I, we had to keep going back because it, it, I was just amazed at, you know, what it stood for, really. And I'm not in any way wishing to trivialise what Lutyens designed, um, but but it's a memorial. It, its only purpose is to hold the names of 72,000 men. So keep going back. And then in 2000, it was 2003, when they decided they were going to have a visitor centre. And I got in touch with Frank Sanderson, or Sir Frank Sanderson, who was running it, and said, what are you doing about the men? the 72,000 men? And the answer was basically nothing. Um, nobody had thought about 
doing anything about the men. It was all about the battles and the regiments and stuff. So we said, um, okay, well, if you want, we'll give it a go to see what we can do. And I've got to admit, they had the courage. Frank Sanderson and the rest of the team had the courage to sort of say to us, go on then. Um, I mean, we're two amateurs, hadn't, hadn't done this sort of thing before, but, you know, go away and see what you can do. So we set off to find what we could find, not knowing what we could find. But our underlying theme really is that that these are individual men. They're, they're missing, but they shouldn't be forgotten. And we knew as well, 72,000, you would never, ever finish it. I mean, even if we'd started in 1960, <laughs> I doubt if we could ever have found lots of information about the men. But whatever... Any incremental information we could find um, was important to record. And so we've started that. We've currently, we've made steady progress. We've got 15,000 stories in addition to what the Commonwealth War Grids have, obviously. And 81% of them uh, have pictures. So we've got about 21% of the name. And we think that, you know, that's, that's quite good. So, and we're still wishing, obviously, it's ongoing. So we're, we're keen to add as we go along. We're doing, we do our own work and we do get stuff from other people. So, so that's sort of, that is honestly the shortened version. So for those people who don't know, what exactly is the Teakval Memorial and what was its uh, purpose? Okay. Uh, and yes, I, I apologise for my uh, County Durham pronunciation of Tiepval. Um, it's Tiepval and, and, and other memorials to the missing are there to record purely to record the names of those who don't have a named grave. If, if you don't have a named grave, you're missing. It's worth noting in saying that, but that doesn't mean that these men never had a grave. There's, there's lots and lots of stories about comrades, the need to give the dead a decent burial. And, but those individual graves, and to be fair, sometimes even whole cemeteries have disappeared in subsequent fighting, or we've left with a position that grave, the bodies are found that used to be, that were buried for field or wherever, um, but they have been subsequently found but can't be identified. There are bodies found that can be identified, but there are lots of bodies over the years, particularly back in the 20s when they were doing the battlefield clearances and, and cemetery um, concentrations. The bodies found that could not be identified. If you look at the Somme area, I understand there are about 50,000 graves for unidentified men. So th so these are the ones that have the known unto God headstones that anybody who's been to any of the cemeteries um, in, in, on the Western Front will have seen lots and lots of graves that are marked known unto God. So those who, have, who were buried there that we don't know who they are, their name will be, they are still missing because we don't know, we haven't identified that grave. So those men are all listed on the memorials in the area. And I think about half of the men on memorial, there is an unknown grave somewhere, but we'll, we'll never tie the two together. Um, 
Tiatlo, to in order to be on Tiatlo, because the idea is that you should be on, if you haven't got a grave, you should be on a memorial somewhere. But you're on one memorial, you're not on lots and lots of memorials. And to be on Tiatlo, um, the person served in the, the British or the South African regiments and died up to the 20th of March, 1918. So if you don't match those criteria, you will be on another memorial elsewhere. It's, although you're talking about British and South African regiments, there are other people who weren't, who, if you like, uh, to quote foreigners, who, who weren't British, but were born elsewhere, but served in British or South African regiments. You've got some good examples that we've come across, um, which I, if I'll digress and, and just say a little bit about them. We've got somebody like um, Albert Spalding, who was a, a lieutenant in the Inniskill and Fusiliers. Um, he was actually born in Chicago, the son of Spalding firm, the, the, the sporting firm. And he, he, he was educated in California. And as a as a congratulation at the end of his um, studies, his family paid for him and his half brother to do a world tour, um, and they were actually in. Um, he was in Paris. Uh, Albert was in Paris when war broke, out and and left and came to London and wanted he wanted to serve, so he actually went. Um, the story goes he went to the Honourable Artillery Company and and asked for he wanted to join, but the they wouldn't let him in because he had such, obviously he had an American accent. So the story goes, he came out and somebody was asking him why, what had happened. And he said, oh, uh, I've been rejected because an American. So what this bloke said to him was, I tell you what, go around the corner because the 50, the 5th Dragoon Guards are looking for people and just tell them you're a Canadian. So that's what he did. <laughs> and then from there, he obviously got, he went into the guard and was commissioned. And so, so there's somebody who is there, but is is not not of of sort of British or or whatever. You've all you've also got somebody like um, Orazio Corte, who was an Italian who was adopted uh, when his parents were no longer able to look after him. Was adopted by some people in Kent and became uh, quite a a well-known mathematician. He tried. He tried when the war was out. He, he, he tried to join the Italian army, um, but he, he was he was rejected. And one of the reasons was his bad eyesight. So he, he then enlisted in the um, the uh, Royal West Kent and went on to become, as they said, a first-class machine gunner. So obviously, eyesight and machine gunner in the bit. Bit not so important. But, so that's just to, to explain that, you know, it's not just British people on the memorial. At the minute, um, Tietval has something like <clears throat> the Commonwealth Gold Grade, something like 72, sorry, not something like 72,334, if you look on their website, uh, of which 159. <clears throat> are duplicated because they're, they're, they're known aliases. So you've got 72,175 men. About 90%, just over 90% of them, be, relate to the 140 days of the battle, the Battle of the Somme. Uh, so the rest of them 
either side of them. 12,387 of those are from the 1st of July. So about 4% of the people who died on the 1st of July are actually on Tieta. The other, the other 36% have got graves in all of the cemeteries in the local area. It's interesting as well that the average age of those men is 25. And the range is, well, that, that we can find, because um, it's, it's not, all of, not all of the records on the Commonwealth War Graves tell you the age, but of the ones that they do, the, the range is about 15 to 55. You've got, at the lower end, you've got James, who, when he died on the 30th of July at Gillymont, was 15 years and 54 days. So he then listed when he was only 14 years, four months, uh, and lived in, lived in Liverpool and then listed. Then at the other end, you've got Adam McLeod. He, he died on the 23rd of June, and he was 55. And he'd... He'd been an, a, an old soldier in the Seaforth Islanders from 1880. Been out in India, everywhere. Um, he was actually working as a storekeeper at the Brigade Bombs in Rockling Corps, which was blown up by shelling. So that, that's why he was there. I've, I've said there that he, I, I think it's a, a misconception that everybody who died on the Somme were fresh, you know, were, were as I would say, bands fresh, fresh, fresh from the boat, but it's it's not the the average age of the ones that we know is is 25. You've got people, as I said, he Adam McLeod had served from 1880, but you've got people like Alexander Young, who's one of the VCs that's mentioned on or listed on the memorial. He he won his bit in the Boer War in uh, 1901. And then went after after he served there was served in in, in the, the South African police, uh, being involved in uh, various things that all of the uh, what we what we call colonial escapades these days. Um, but but he he came he, he got a commission and and came with a South African Scottish. Um, he he'd been wounded at Delgo Wood and then died. Uh, during the Battle of uh, Wallencourt, so you, you've got people. It's 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 worth knowing these these. They've got people that have got a variety of history. Um, another interesting thing about the memorial: there are there over seven hundred brothers we know about, um, where more than one brother is on the memorial. There are three lots where there are three brothers on the memorial. And of those nine men, eight of them died on the 1st of July and one of them on the 14th of July. So you can imagine the impact, a loss on family of being told that you've lost three. And I'm talking there as well about men who were just on the memorial. Um, I, I haven't got a count of the number of brothers who also died and are buried elsewhere. So um, you, you also have... Because you've got a range of ages, you've got a number of men who uh, a number of children. You've got Mark Armstrong, who died uh, in November uh, 1916, aged 38, had eight children. He'd, he'd already lost, before he went to the war, one child. And then 
while he was serving, another child died, but he couldn't get back, uh, obviously, um, to um, to bury that. So that also illustrates in, in the concept. There wasn't just a war going. These men were affected not just by the war around them, but life carried on at home or life and death carried on at home. So they had to deal not only with what was in front of them, but what was behind them and at home. And you've got other, you've got other people that have you know, a number of children as well. So you've got a variety of, of things that come out. And that, but does that explain? That, that maybe wanders away from the exact question about why people are missing, but it, it tells you a little bit about it. And I should have explained that both Pam and I uh, come from an accountancy background, so our interest in numbers might come through as I'm talking as well. <laughs> so why do you think it's important to tell the stories of the missing? Uh, well, remember, to me, remember, and, and when I say me, I mean we, Right. Okay. So, um, remembrance is 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 what we we we're keen on. Now, to be fair, it, I think it's important to remember everybody in life. You know, one one remembers lots and lots of people and lots and lots of facts. But so I, I think that we need to remember people who went and fought for us in all countries. And to be fair, that's whether they died or returned, because. The, the, the struggles that people had and have for the ones that returned shouldn't be uh, forgotten at all. When it comes to people or those who have no known grave, I think that's an extra poignancy, particularly for the relative, because it, it wasn't, it, there was never any sort of clean edge to things. People, people were told, you know, Fred, Fred is missing because he, he's missed role, so we don't know where he is. We think he's, he might be dead, he might be missing, he might be a prisoner. And often that sort of isism went on for quite a while. And, and you get people being told a year or a year and a bit later, Fred, Fred went missing on the 1st of July. We've done all we can. There's absolutely no, he's never come up as wounded. He's never come up as a prisoner. Um, he's never in any list anywhere. So therefore he's dead. Um, that's what they that's what they lived through that uncertainty the the pain and then the uncertainty so and I, I think a visit to Tietmal for people although you're only, only going to see a carved name that it's a different experience from when you're standing next to a grave because you're in Tietmal yes you're commemorating the man but then where is that man what happened and it's trying our interest is trying to find out a little bit about the man behind the name. And it's only a little bit because you only ever can find out small small snippets of information. But uh, so our conscience, having said that I think it's right that you remember everybody, we decided to limit our contribution to that, to the 72,175 on TFO. And... As I've said before, and I'll repeat, the, our aim is to illustrate that they're missing, and in 99.9% of the cases, they'll be missing forever, but they're not forgotten, and they're not forgotten in that we have at least recorded a little bit of information about that man that we can. So, so that's, 
I, I, that's why I think it's important. Um, but uh, we we came to the conclusion that one 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 impossible task was enough, which is why we started on Tietro. From the research that you've done, are there any stories that particularly stand out? Yeah. Um, well, if I, if I can say with with fifteen thousand, it, it's difficult because. Um, each is an individual who, who meant something to his friends and family. And if, if you think about what, you, what I might call the, the marks you make on history, um, anybody is, we're 100 years after, but the mark that they made was affected by their age and personal circumstances and the opportunities they, they, were, able, they were given and were able to grasp in the short term they had as a civilian. It is difficult, and we know this from experience. We did an exhibition in 2012 in France, and we picked a, a one story for each day of the battle, and that was hard. We did something similar with the Commonwealth War Graves for the TFL app that we did a few years ago. Uh, there we, we picked one for each day of the year, and, and that was difficult. And we did a, which I'll, I'll plug later on, a pen and sword book, where we've we've taken uh, looking at a number of men on each of the panels, and 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 that was difficult to to find, you know, to decide that story is better than that story. Um, we know we we in a in a previous conversation talked about your your granddad's best was it your granddad's best friend uh, was that Cyril Guy Battiscombe? That was correct, yes. He, yeah. he died on the football, certainly disappeared on the 1st of July when my grandfather was fighting with the Kensingtons at uh, Gomenkoral as part of the 56th Division's attack on German positions yeah. there. Yeah, now, now he, I know you said you, you weren't quite sure how he, the, two, the two people became best friends, but I mean, Cyril, having been brought up in a, in a religious family, his father was a, a vicar in, in Kent. He, he became a telegrapher with the Eastern Telegraph Company, and he, he worked at Pothkernow Porth down in Cornwall, and then worked for that for the telegraph people, uh, the cable people, uh, in Gibraltar, Suit, Suez, Suez, uh, Aden, Seychelles, and, and had come back to the UK as an instructor um, before the war, uh, and then spent time in Gibraltar. So he He'd left that in 1915 to, to enlist. He, 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 as you say, was killed at Goncourt while he was um, delivering a message. One of the sources um, that we got information on him was because of the company he worked for, they had a staff magazine. Uh, and so he featured in that a few times, including a, a letter that he'd sent. And so he, an interesting he obviously, uh, from the job he'd done, uh, although he'd been, you know, a telegrapher and then an instructor, when you look at his, when he died, he left an estate which was valued at £1,673, which is something in, in today's money like 150000 So quite a, a wealthy <laughs> wealthy person. So he, you've, you've got him. Um, you also... I know with your connection with the Kensingtons, you, you also mentioned uh, Cedric Dickens, um, who died died later on in, in Lloyd's Wood. Um, he's gone. Yes, yeah, Ce yeah, Cedric Charles Cedric Charles Dickens was the the great 
Correct. He's the grandson yeah. of Charles Dickens, yeah. the author. Yes, you're right. He died at Leeds. I mean, he he's an interesting one because he's actually got a grave marker at, at, at Lentswood, or I can't I can never pronounce it. So he, he his body is somewhere there, but uh, I don't think it's actually no, marked no, where was, the where the cross is. I mean, is. they always said that they buried his his men had buried him and raised a cross, and then the family bought the plot. Um, but then when they were doing work in 1948, I think it is, they were they were going to to exhume the body and put him into a cemetery. But then, as you say, they never found a body. So he was added to Tietfal in, in late 1948. So, and the family, the family always were told that he was there. And the, I think there was, well, there was quite a surprise that he wasn't there. And they did look around. It wasn't just, um, from what I can see, of, of the record records that the Commonwealth War Graves have, they did look within the vicinity, the immediate vicinity, and weren't able to find anything, um, and then moved across again. But that's that comes back to the uh, one of the points I made earlier about that there, there was a need by comrades to give people a decent burial. So they weren't, try, they weren't trying to um, sort of gloss over it. They were trying to we're trying to bury these people and give them a decent burial. Um, the fact that those burials subsequently were found not to be uh, correct, um, but if you look um, across, if you look across the Commonwealth War Graves records that we've that we've looked at, and there could be more, there there are at least we found at least um, 800 crosses that were found on the battlefield named to individuals, which when the area was searched and nobody was ever found. So they're on Tiafa, but it, it does demonstrate that people did want to give them a battlefield commemoration, whether that whether it was a proper burial or not, um, we'll, we'll never know really. But so, and this is again a long-winded answer of, of saying, oh dear me, can I, can I even come up with a, a nice one? But I think we've, some things that I, I come back with that where we have um, a belated personal connection with the person. Uh, one of those is uh, Captain ben Benjamin Eastlake Lever, who was in the uh, Queen's Royal West Surrey and, and was attached to the Duke of Wellington. But he died during an attack on Spectrum Trench in 12th of October. He was 39. He was, um, having been educated at Charterhouse in Trinity, he became uh, a landscape painter. His father was a, a well-known painter. Uh, he was uh, exhibited at the Royal Academy and was part of um, a well-known artist colony down in Penzance. Um, he, we have a connection with him because we've been lucky enough to buy two of his original paintings. Uh, which are one in our hallway in our dining room. So every, every time I walk past that uh, or those, I, I think of Benjamin. Uh, and it's, it's, it is nice to have something that the person, in his case, created something. But there is that personal connection with him. Um, it, it's, it's interesting as well that um, his son, his only son, who was a pilot officer in the RAF, was killed in in World War Two, so it's you get that connection. Uh, another one with a where we have a personal 
an indirect personal, if there's such a thing, is uh, Richard Philip Stanhope, the Honourable, who was a captain in the Grenadier Guards and died at Le Boeuf in September 1916. He was the youngest of the sixth Earl Stanhope and uh, lived in, uh, was given Reevesby Abbey in Lincolnshire when he became of age. Um, he he was educated at Eton and Magdalen uh, Oxford. Was in was a member of, of the winning Oxford team in the 1908 uh, University Board Race, and was obviously took over this estate in Lincolnshire. Became very involved in everything. So the local newspapers are full of stories of Richard uh, and his uh, family. Uh, uh, great great spread when he got married. Uh, all good, you know, interesting background stuff. Uh, he'd only married in uh, May 1914, and then went. Uh, he went to uh, was called up virtually after they came back from the honeymoon. Um, tragically, his wife uh, gave birth to a stillborn son uh, the same day that Richard died. So, one of the personal connections we have from him, we have two of the letters that he wrote from while he was out serving to his gamekeeper, um, talking about um, how the, 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 uh, the, the, well, the hunt and the, the shoots were going and all of that. So you've got a couple of letters. You've, you've, you've got something from the individual that that man wrote. We've, we've also um, we've got a number of collections of letters uh, from, from a number of people. Um, so t- again, Having something that somebody wrote, a whole host of letters from a, a, a guy, George McEnroy, wrote, who wrote to his sweetheart and then he, who later became his wife in the years of the war. So you've got, you've got little, you've got the personality there of the person coming through. Um, you've got Char, Charles David Waller, a member of the... Uh, Queen's Westminster Rifles died at um, Goncourt, but after his death, he, he worked. His father was a builder and the only son of a sixth sister. But after his death, the, the family put together an album of pictures of him and various uh, newspaper clippings, um, which subsequently went on to the open market and we were able to buy it. So you've got something there that, okay, he. he he didn't put together the thing, but he, he, it's about his family. And it's their way of remembering him as an individual. They, again, they're, they're, they had a long wait before they got the letter from the Red Cross that said, there's just nothing more we can find out about this man. They then had, um, when, when people were coming back, when the prisoners of war were being coming back into the UK and there were, there were pictures in the newspapers, the family were convinced that they'd seen him in one of the pictures. Um, so they then spent time trying to find out uh, whether it was, but it, obviously it wasn't. Um, one that we got, again, the, the person, Leonard Crabtree in uh, West Yorkshire, who died at Sir in July, July 1st. Uh, again, the family put together um, an album of that he'd, him and his wife had um, exchanged over the There's a couple of postcards in there that he bought. He'd been out in Egypt and then went to France. And on his way through Marseille, 
he picked up a, a couple of postcards and scribbled a message. And then at some point in the journey, when they went through a railway station that obviously had people around when he went through, he threw them out and asked them to post them on to England. And surprisingly, they arrived. We don't know whether he did that for other ones that never arrived, but those two did arrive and were part of a, a family collection that was treasured to the point where it was even treasured by the daughter of his wife in the, in who subsequently married. So it wasn't wasn't it wasn't any blood to her, but she she really treasured that. And eventually, in about 2014, I think she she gave that to the Historial de la Grande Guerre Peron as a collection. So that's in there now. So that that's a permanent record. Um, some other ones which are a bit more recent to us, I think. We came across, a, we got contacted by a family who said, we've got a man on TFR, but he's got the wrong name. And we, the conclusion we, we came to, and has now been corrected, thankfully, by the Commonwealth War Group, is that he, he served under a, an alias, but um, nobody realised that at the time. And that, that got us off onto a, a little bit of a tangent because... He was actually born in Boston, Massachusetts. And when he died, he was only 18. And what he'd done is there were lots of ships sailing to the UK with horses for the troops. And apparently what happened is they recruited young lads in the USA to travel to look after the horses. Uh, And a number of these lads, when they arrived in Liverpool, uh, then uh, decided to enlist. And you get into stories in the American press uh, about how uh, these their boys neared by the British and they're recruiting them illegally into the British Army. Uh, and, and he was one of them. So you get there, there's something I'd, I'd never even thought about. But it, it, there, there were lots and lots of articles about how how could the British do this to their men? And then you get somebody else. Uh, Edward Burger, who was only 19 when he died on the 13th of November. He'd been rejected <clears throat> four times on medical grounds, but then went into hospital and spent 20 weeks of treatment <clears throat> to correct the deformity in his leg, legs so he could then enlist. Now, you just think, you, you get the story about, <clears throat> about people being dragged into this, but there's somebody whose sense of duty was so great as to do that, it, it couldn't get left behind. So, And one of, and I, I'm, I'm coming to the end of this short answer to your question, but um, one, of the, one of the stories that we were very interested in uh, until a few years ago was one of uh, David Hartness, Blakey, a military medalist, who went missing on the 1st of July. And we got we got involved with his family. And again, they had a, a lovely archive of information. And it, it, it's a nice story of rugby player and all of that. But then, lo and behold, in uh, 2013, they found his body near, not far from the Ulster Tower. So in 2015, we were able were very kindly the family asked us to go along. Um, we had a full military burial in um, near the Ulster Tower. So there, there's somebody who 
was a story, but uh, we've now lost him as a story. But his story carries on. That information we haven't we haven't just lost the information. We've kept the information. So you get you get a variety. It's a variety. It's very as I said at the beginning, and I, I think I've demonstrated by the waffling in in between. Um, it, it is difficult to pick out a best a best of this because. Everybody, everybody lived the life that they were able to live with the circumstances that came to them and the opportunities they had and the start in life they had. So, and, and therefore, some people, you can find out lots and lots of information. Um, I can, we can find out what uh, Richard Stanhope got for wedding presents when he got married. Other people we know they went to work, they went to school, they went to work, and they went in the army and they died. But each one of them is, is you need to remember the men. So that's so I haven't I haven't got, but I've I've given you a few examples of of the fifteen thousand. Um, but I think in brevity would suggest that we probably I, I give that as my answer. <laughs> <laughs> and how have the relatives of the missing so so-called responded to your research um, well supportive thankfully uh, i would hate to think that uh, we did anything to upset any relatives um we're very pe- people are keen um to have the information so it, it's somewhere other other than in a cupboard under the stairs um or in a you know shoebox or something somewhere so the fact that we can, although it's only electronic, it's not it's not physical things. But the fact that that information is now at Tiepval, uh, clo- as close as you can get to the memorial that um, the men is commemorated on. Um, so it, uh, everyone is, is supportive of, of what we've done, and, and we're supportive of obviously what they've done, and are happy to every every record in the in the database of Tiepval. Uh, has a source of where that information's come from. So the, the person doing the work in the, is recorded there as well as that. It, it works in the opposite direction as well. We, we have been able to help people by giving them information that they hadn't come across, um, particularly newspapers where we've, as I said, we've done work, um, and particularly where they will, we will give, be able to give them a photograph that they'd never you know the, the families never kept one, and and then you you produce a picture may not <clears throat> not be gallery quality, but because it's coming from a copy from a newspaper, but it is a face that you as well as thinking of a person. So that um, we we we've, we've worked with lots and lots of relatives, and are always happy to hear from. Uh, we we gave thinking we gave somebody. A were able to give somebody a picture the other day that they'd never seen, and the the circumstances were good because they were having a family reunion. Um, I think in the next week or so. So that that picture was going to do the rounds of the rest of the family, which is nice to think. So so we uh, we want we we're happy for more. <laughs> which brings me neatly onto my next question: Is what's the future? Oh, of the, okay. What's the future of the project? Well. We're we're still happy to carry on uh, collecting information. We we have we've got quite a to-do pile of stuff that we got from the I mentioned the newspaper archive. We took lots and lots of copies where we knew 
we knew there was a, we took a page, you, you get a page, we know there's at least one man on there who's on feet ground. Bring it home and then we'll go through it and find out all the others. Are. So we've got quite a lot of that to keep us going. Uh, and we'll we carry on looking. Um, we're, we obviously have a finite life, um, but we, um, we can't envisage that we're close to the end of that yet. Um, it's, a, it's a permanent part of the visitor center. Um, so it's there. Um, I suppose eventually uh, we'll need to think of transitioning it to some other uh, willing volunteer or volunteers. Um, but um, I think at the minute we're we're able we're able to, from a personal point of view, from a time point of view, from a, a finance point of view. Because I, I should say that all of the work we've done, we've sort of funded ourselves. Uh, the visitor centre is there and the computers are their computers, but all of the work that we've done, we've done for, for our own purposes, really. We've got a, a lot of uh, satisfaction out of doing it, and so I'm happy to carry on doing it, and we'll, we'll see. And so where can people learn more about your work and the project, and also where can they get the book that you mentioned earlier? Oh, all good booksellers. Um, the the visitor... We don't have a website as such. The information isn't online. It's on the visitor centre. But So anybody who visits the visitor centre um, will get um, told about it. There are a number of websites like uh, you know, World War One and that on the web that, that do mention us, thankfully. That's good of them. Um, we did, I mentioned it earlier, the Commonwealth War Graves produced a TFL app a few years ago. Uh, we did contribute all of the, the sort of named stuff there, uh, and that that points that points us back. They've also done something this year. I started last year, which I haven't seen myself. It's in the shadow of Tiapa, which is this exhibition, this virtual exhibition that's available for when you're visiting Tiapa during the renovation work, because the memorial is closed and is scaffolded. But they they do have a a virtual thing which is available when you're on the site. Uh, um, we 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 did quite a bit of work for them for that. So and there's a reference back. But uh, the book I mentioned by Pen and Sword um, was produced originally in 2015 uh, and has now just come out in paperback. That that what we did there was we took each of the 57 panels uh, or 56 plus the addenda. And told the stories of at least four of the men on each of those. So there's 200 and odd stories there. Uh, a potted history, a page, a page per person in the main. Um, we also included in that some information on sources research that are available. And again, a, a sort of a tangent I did, I, I got interested in the villages before the war and during the war. So there's a, a, a little bit in there about the village itself and what happened um, while while it was in German hands. Some pictures that we've collected of the soldiers around the village as it, it gradually disappears into rubble. And particularly the chateau uh, of the village, people from from when it was a, a working chateau and the people that worked there to the soldiers outside of it as it gradually <laughs> gradually disappeared into 
the rubble that it turned into. So there's something in there. It was, I suppose the thoughts as well as remembrances of that book were, if you were at Tiafra, you could wander around the memorial and you could look at the names and then you could actually, on that panel, look at some of the men behind them. So so that that's that's available or penance order, it's available at Amazon and everywhere else. And uh, I should mention that the the royalties that we've got from that uh, have all gone either to the between them to the British Legion the ABF. It, it's not us, so it's it, it's in a good cause from that. Ken, thank you very much for your time. Okay. You have been listening to the mentioned in dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe. Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition. The theme music for this podcast was George Butterworth's The Banks of Green Willow. It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Chris Rusman and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Butterworth performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time. <laughs>